Let's get into our Bible study. Absolutely. Our Bible study is looking at creation as the foundation, and we're going to look at how the New Testament writers... Creation in Scripture. Yes. We are going to look at how the New Testament writers looked at the story of creation. Did they see the story of creation as allegorical? Did they consider the story of creation as being a, you know, a, a, an object lesson of an evolutionary process? Did they see the creation story as a myth that you could draw spiritual lessons from? Is this how the New Testament writers believed in the creation story. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 19, and Liam, if you could read for us verse 4 and 5, please. Okay, Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5 says, Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Okay, so when Jesus quotes... Uh, Genesis chapter 2, the last verse of Genesis chapter 2 right here, I think it's verse 24. Does Jesus give any indication that he is speaking about a creation myth? No. Does he give any indication that he's speaking about a creation parable? No. Uh, Allegory? No. Um, No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to come up with some other version of what it might be. Object lesson? No. Jesus here simply states the fact that, and and, and he says, when God created humans, he created them male and female. He just simply states that fact. In the beginning, when God did this, this is what God did. Now, the challenge that you've got at this particular point, and this challenge is going to become stronger as we look at Mark's account, Luke's account, John's account, etc., of the creation story. The challenge that you're going to find is this. Is it possible to believe in Jesus and to not believe in the creation story? Is that possible? And, of course, that's going to become an impossibility. And so when you come across somebody who's like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ, but you don't, they don't believe in the Genesis account. It's like, well, actually, no, you don't believe in Jesus Christ because you don't believe what Jesus said. You actually believe that Jesus was a liar. That's the simple reality. You've got two choices here. You don't have three. You don't have evolution, theistic evolution, or creation. You've got evolution or creation. You've got atheism or theism. That's it. Those are the only two options that you have because the moment that you accept Jesus Christ and you claim to believe in Jesus Christ, then you are also going to need to believe in the words of Jesus Christ. If you believe, if you say that you believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ claimed to be God. He, cre- he, he proclaimed himself as the great I am, the self-existent God. And so if you say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, but you don't believe he was God, then you believe that he was a liar. If you say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is God, but you don't believe in creation, what you're saying is that God is a liar. And so it is impossible to accept anything that the Bible says unless you believe in a six-day creation. It is that simple. I mean, if you've got some challenging uh, thoughts on that, our number is 1-800-324-843. I know that there are a lot of Christians today, and it's very, very popular today for Christians to believe in evolution. 
or some form of evolutionary process and that God's best friend is death and that God used death as the means of creation. No, God's worst enemy is death. God hates death. God's whole purpose is to get rid of death and God's means of creation is his word. It is not death. Okay, so I had a bit of a rant on that one, and we've ranted on that one before, but it keeps coming back again and again and again. And, of course, the other thing here is that very significant is that when uh, the Bible speaks about God's creation, the Bible says he created them male and female. He did not create them with 97 different genders and counting that we have in our world today. He only created them as two genders, male and female, and anything outside of that is the result of sin in our world, uh, the result of the effects of sin on the human race in our world. Okay, so let's... Um, um, that's, not, that's, not, that's not saying that people are guilty if they have strange feelings in their head. We are just saying that's not how God created human beings to be. I hope people understand the difference between that. Okay, so Mark chapter 10, verse 6 through 9. Mark 10, 6 to 9. This one is very similar to the last one. But Jesus responded, He wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his mother and father and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Okay, so um, once again, you've got more or less Mark's version of the same passage being repeated here. And Jesus is very, very emphatic about his belief in creation and how humans were created and the fact that you know they were created male and female. This is a very binary approach that Jesus brings forth, and of course, that's the only approach that you're going to find in the Bible. Okay, Luke chapter 11, verse 50 and 51. As a result, this generation will be held responsible for the murder of all of God's prophets from the creation of the world, from the murder of Abel to the murder of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, it will certainly be charged against this generation. Okay, so when you uh, when you stop and consider uh, this passage, this one is a little bit different, and so it is bringing out some different thoughts. It takes you back to the creation of the world, and it lists for you the very first murder that took place. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so when we consider the very first murder that took place, the Bible says the first murder that took place was Cain. That's what the Bible says. Cain murdering Abel. That's right. Right there, right back at the very beginning, just after sin entered our world. Jesus talks about the first murder and Jesus agrees with what the Bible says. Jesus emphatically, clearly states that this is what took place. The murder of Cain was not an allegory. It wasn't a myth. It wasn't a legend. It wasn't an object lesson. It was a historical event. Yep. And Jesus quotes it as historical event. So once again... A significant historical event. Yeah, yeah. You can't claim to be a follower of Jesus and say that, well, we don't need to worry about the first seven chapters of Genesis. 
you know, this is this is legend from the past. No, this is not legend from the past. This is just historical information that's given to us in broad brushstrokes with a few salient points that are brought out. I'm sure that there were many murders before the flood um, other than just Cain, but Cain's, what, Cain's murder of his brother Abel is mentioned because it is the first one. It's where it starts. And it has a lot to say about the nature of sin and the nature of sinful fallen human beings when you get human beings that are that close to perfection and they commit one of the worst kind of wrongs that there is, which is murder, then um, it it you know you've got jesus here he's 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 showing that yes sin is a nasty thing doesn't matter how close you are to perfection this is what sin will do to you okay next one john chapter one this one's a bit different john chapter one verse one to three it's a very different passage this one we got a whole bunch of verses and some of them are similar but for the most part they they contrast well they're not they don't don't contrast but they're, they're different that's right All right, so John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3 says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. Okay, so what you've got here is uh, a statement about the creation of the world. And who it was... Was the who, who it was who created the world and everything that is in it? Now let's go over to Colossians very quickly. We're going to look at a verse here in Colossians, and I've read this one. It's one of, a verse that I often like to read because it tells us a lot about the nature of Jesus Christ. What this reveals to us: the Bible says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God moved on the surface of the deep." And so we often ascribe that to God the Father. And what you've got in the creation is actually all three members of the Godhead that are present in one place at one time doing their creative work. And so, yes, God the Father was there. Yes, the Holy Spirit was there. We find that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Then you go a little bit further and you're going to find this statement, you know, let us make man in our image. That's plural. Come here to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, please, Liam. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 and 17 says, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. And verse 17. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Okay, so there's a number of salient points that come out of this particular passage right here. The Bible says that Jesus was the active uh, member of the Godhead in creation. The Bible says that Jesus not only created the world and everything that is in the world, he created the universe and everything that is in the universe. And then it goes on to say in verse 17 that he existed before anything else existed. So on that basis, is it possible that the Father existed before the Son? No. No, because Jesus existed before anything else existed. Therefore, the Godhead is equal in their um, pre-existence. 
They have always existed. They are the uncaused cause that has caused our world to come into existence. Okay, we're going to continue on. We're just going to work our way through these Bible passages. Acts chapter 14 and verse 15. So now we're moving away from the words of Jesus Christ. And now we're moving along to the uh, New Testament writers. All right, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. Okay, so when we come to uh, Paul here speaking and preaching about the about idolatry, what is his approach to the creation story? He treats it as a fact. He, he, treats he, it as he a refers fact. to it as this is what has happened in the past, and therefore this is how we base things now. Not only does he treat it as a fact, he treats it as a... Um, is that Paul? Actually, that was Peter, wasn't it? I think that was Peter. Sorry, my bad. Um, or was it Paul? It's from the story of Paul and Barnabas, yep, Barnabas okay. in Lystra and Derby. Right. It is. It's, it's, uh, it's Paul. Okay, so he treats it as a fact. He is preaching, obviously, to Gentiles here, and he is just stating it as it is. He is not saying, hey, we've got this great uh, creation myth that teaches all kinds of spiritual lessons. That's not the approach that Paul makes. Paul says, we know what happened in the past. This is what happened in the past, and this is the God who has called us to serve and worship and to obey him. Okay, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see this they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Okay. Once again, what we've got now is the New Testament writers, and the New Testament writers are taking the same approach, approach as Jesus. And so if you're going to call yourself, and sometimes I come, I come across people and say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian. Well, that's kind of like saying I'm a one-third Christian, you know, because you only believe in a third of the Bible. Uh, but one of the reasons that people will claim to be a New Testament Christian is because the creation stories in the Old Testament. And by proclaiming themselves as a New Testament Christian, they are able then to take the creation story in the Old Testament as allegory, myth, legend, object lesson, um, spiritual lessons, whatever they want. Also Also they think. Also they think. But that's an incredibly difficult and painful situation to be in. That is going to really, really wreck your mind because every time you read your Bible, which is the New Testament, your Bible, the New Testament, is going to be talking about the creation story and it's going to be talking about it as as historical fact. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. Let's flick over and see what this one has to say. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts, so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So in this verse, they've got one purpose that they're trying to tell the story, but they're saying that God's light in our heart is shining. But he's saying, just like when God said in the beginning, let there be light. Okay, so this is an interesting one. Yeah. Because this is one in which Paul uses creation as an object lesson, 
for what happens in our heart. He uses it as an illustration. And so this is a great opportunity for Paul if he wants to make the creation story allegorical. It's a great opportunity for him to clarify the fact that it is allegorical. Correct? Yeah. All right. However, rather than clarifying that it is allegorical, he simply says, okay, this is what happened in the past, and this is a great object lesson you can draw from it. God created the light in the past, and God can create the light of truth in your heart, in your mind. You know, a lot of the things that I'm seeing here, and have seen here, are things that I see in today's society as well. Like when we, we, we use events of the past that definitely did happen as object lessons and practical lessons and literal lessons for the way that we do a lot of things now. You think of the last century. There's countless events that have happened over the last century that in today's society we use as lessons as a, as, and as a basis to lay the foundations of how we live the life day to, our lives day to day. Yes, absolutely. We certainly do. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We are having quite the Bible study this morning, one verse after another after another. We've looked at a bunch of uh, verses from uh, that have the words of Jesus and the words of Paul, all confirming the uh, literal Genesis account of creation. Okay, so basically what we've been looking at is the authors of the New Testament. Uh, we have looked at uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who wrote the Gospels. Now we're going to go on and look at the the. So we've got four different writers, four different gospel authors, and five different epistle authors. We've looked at one epistle author so far, and that is Paul. But what about the other epistle authors? Let's go over to James, and let's read James chapter 3 and verse 9. Let's see if the other authors of the other epistles take a different view on this particular issue. So James chapter 3 and verse 9, I've caught... Uh, I've caught Liam off guard. He's, he's he skipped a couple. Was, he thought I was going somewhere else, but we skipped a couple. All right, James chapter 3 and verse 9 says, Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Okay, is that a reference to Genesis chapter 1? Yes. Whereabouts there is the reference to Genesis chapter 1? Uh, the end that uh, where it says sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Ah, yes. And where are you going to find the concept that you and I are made in God's image? In the creation story where God said that he created Adam and Eve in the image of God. Okay, so now we've got all four gospel writers confirming the literal Genesis account. Now we've got two epistle writers confirming it. And once again, showing that this is foundational to Christianity, full stop. Because if we were not created in the image of God, and if God does not then love us as his children, then why would Jesus come and die and give his life? Jesus didn't come and die and give his life for a pet dog or the species of dogs. He didn't, or ants. He gave it to human beings because we were created in the image of God. He didn't, yeah, that's right. He didn't die for ants. You know, I did, when I was younger, and you know, I didn't fully grasp or understand the idea of exactly who God is, I thought that, there was a, that the ants had their own God. Or, or that the, they had a, the, there was like a, we've got God, who is, we're made in the image of God. 
ants have their god and they were made in the image of the ant god. Yeah, and, and when we're young, sometimes <laughs> those uh, strange things go through our minds. But the ants are not a terrible illustration for us to help us to understand God because if you consider an ant, and of course we don't understand how much an ant can know and understand, but the general assumption would be that they, don't, that they really don't understand human beings. No, 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 no. And if they were to look at what human beings accomplish, you know, most ants would say, well, that's pretty supernatural. Now, ants are incredibly intelligent creatures, don't get me wrong, but they would look at most of the things that we do as being supernatural. Now, we look at the things we do and say, well, this is mechanical and this is electronic and this is you know, uh, electrical and so forth and, this is, and we understand how it works. And I think it's a good illustration of how we look at God. We look at how you know, God speaks things into existence and we're like, well, you know, that is supernatural. That's because we don't understand how it works and the mechanism by what, which God is able to do these things. And who knows, we're going to have eternity to, to dig into and to find out and to explore how all of these uh, various mechanisms take place. Indeed. But the fact is that we were made in the image of God, and because we were made in the image of God, God loves us, and God died for us, and the fact that we're made in the image of God is central to the gospel story, and if you remove that from the gospel story, then we cease to have our worth as human beings. And if we don't have worth as human beings, then who are we? Worthless. Exactly. All right, let's go to First uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. I was ready for this one. <laughs> Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat, only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. Ah, that's an interesting verse. Indeed. I find the way, the, the way in which your Bible has translated it as being... Very insightful. Let me let me share with you why I see that as being insightful. If I go over to um, if I go over to second first Peter, sorry, chapter three, and verse where were we? Second Peter chapter three and verse twenty. Uh, let me read it from my translation. <clears throat> it talks about those who are sometimes disobedient. When once the patience of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, wherein a few, that is, eight souls were saved. What's the significant difference in that last line? Uh, my, well, yours says a few. Yeah, no. Nah, yes. Yes, mine says eight souls were saved. What does yours say? Mine says um, uh, eight people. That's interesting because right there the Bible tells you what a soul is. Indeed. The soul is not a ghost. It's not some you know spirit that floats around inside your body and disappears when you die. A soul is a person. Yeah. There were not eight ghosts saved on the ark. And, you know, sometimes I think it's good to, to look at both, uh, both translations to get a, an even broader understanding. Because if you just took the word people alone, then you could make one assumption. Yeah, no one's, no one's going to question that eight people were saved on the ark. And if you just took the, the word soul alone, you could make your own assumptions about that. But if you put the word people and soul together to make them one thing, then it kind of has a little bit of a, it. It, it emphasises what Peter was trying to say here. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Okay, so we have, um, once again, Peter confirming the creation story, this time confirming the flood story, which is, once again, part of the those first you know seven ten chapters of Genesis that are telling the history of our world and there are probably few events that have ever taken place for which there is more evidence than the flood. 
Indeed. The flood is, uh, you know, our whole world is covered by a layer of sediment. That means that our whole world at one point was affected by water. It's really, really quite simple. And all, you know, topography is created by water. Wherever you look, everything you look at in the natural world, as far as mountains, plains, oceans, rivers, etc., was all created by water and the movement even, of water. Even people, we've got like 70% water or something like that. Yeah, but we weren't created by the flood. No, we weren't. Yeah. But water is, a, what I'm trying to say about that is water is a, is a constant in everything in the world. Let's go over to Jude chapter 1. Not Jude chapter 2? No, not Jude chapter 2. <laughs> Let's not go to Jude chapter 2. Let's go to Jude chapter 1. If, you verse, find, uh, if anyone can find Jude chapter 2 for us, we'll, uh, we'll send you a promise. Oh, Jude chapter 2 has all kinds of great verses in it. <laughs> all the ones that I love to make up. All right, Jude chapter 1 verse 11. Uh, what sorrow awaits them? For they follow in the, in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. And I'll go to 14 as well. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his, of his holy eyes. Holy T- eyes? Holy eyes. Yours says holy eyes. Uh, holy one, sorry. Holy one. Holy- <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I've seen some creative <laughs> translations, but that one is different. I, yeah, I, I read it too fast. Apologies. Holy ones. Okay. Holy ones. Okay. So once again, we have, uh, if you go to James, Peter, Jude, um, all of the five epistle writers all speak about, and of course, John, uh, who writes his epistles as well, all speak about creation as being a literal event. 